You should be saving for the future, but savings accounts suck, and investing can be scary. We combine the ease of savings with the real returns of investing. We call it Save Vesting, and it's only available in our new app, Stairs. Stairs offers 4-6% returns, no fees, and you can withdraw anytime. Do your future a favor. Visit StairsApp.com today. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now enjoy a large iced coffee for just two bucks and a breakfast sandwich to make a meal. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. The cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the The green Green Peak. peak with your host, Richard Zwicky. Hello, everybody. I'm Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak, and joining me today is Brian Kalasi from Molus. Molus is one of the world's leading uh, firms in the M&A space or from the perspective of a bank that is providing investment banking experience, advising corporate clients, private equity firms, and family owners, and family offices and owners thereof <clears throat> with regards to really a wide array of transactions, uh, M&A divestitures, joint ventures, leverage buyouts, um, and you run, you name it, the full gamut of uh, activity in the M&A space is really in uh, Mollis' wheelhouse. And, um, you know, with all the activity that's been going on in the uh, cannabis space over the last couple of years, we're really approaching the stage where we're going to see large-scale M&A activity, um, which hasn't yet been seen or is only beginning to be seen across the industry. And so, Brian, why don't you speak to us a bit about your background with Molus, and uh, then let's hop into some discussion about what we can see coming in 2020. Thanks, Richard. Nice to be with you. Yes, I've been in the investment banking practice for the last 28 years and spend all of my time currently focused on clients that are engaged in the consumer food beverage area and and cannabis uh, and CBD are a subsector uh, at, at our firm, how we think about those industries, um, because we do really believe that they are one of the most disruptive forces to come into consumer packaged goods in, in many years. We have, um, as you mentioned, uh, our business is giving advice to owners, uh, be they publicly held, privately held, private equity owned, backed uh, firms. And, and helping them usually at the critical junctures when they're thinking about a merger or an acquisition of another business or, or monetizing their own business. So it's uh, it's been a very uh, busy period, as you said, first in the capital markets uh, and, and, and private capital coming in to support the big growth opportunity in cannabis. And um, we could talk about some of the changes that have occurred over the last uh, 12 months in, in the public equity markets, and, and we think there will be tremendous amount of activity here in the, in, the coming, uh, in the coming year. Yeah, I think there's a general level of agreement that the uh, 
the M&A activity is where we're going to see a tremendous amount over the next year. And, um, you know, there's two different aspects to it, why that, what's going to drive that, but also, of course, for the entrepreneur and the, uh, the investor and for the companies that are merging, the interest and activities are uh, different and how they see the, uh, the space is different. But with how uh, share prices and valuations have been impacted over the last seven months now, it's causing a lot of people conniptions with regards to discussions on M&A because people aren't always reevaluating their own valuation. And, you know, some companies have cash on hand and they don't have much else, but they think they're worth more than cash on hand, whereas other companies have real assets but don't have enough cash. Um, have you seen, you know, I think if we look back, we see the... Uh, after the 2000 period, we had a lot of uh, M&A activity in the technology space. What uh, comparables do you see in terms of patterns from that era to this one? And how should companies be looking at valuations differently to come towards sure. actually finding accommodation? Well, I think, I think you hit it on the head, Richard, that in, I look back to kind of 18 to 20 years ago when we were going through the internet um, you know, huge disruptive force, uh, all these startup businesses, be they, you know, B2C business to consumer or B2B business to business websites uh, and valuations at that time, primarily amongst venture capital backers uh, were just stratospheric. Uh, no longer was there an interest in earnings or cash flow or even revenues. It was about eyeballs and clicks and, and how, those were the type of metrics for a period of time that these very young companies were being evaluated against. When we had some of those transition to the public capital markets under great enthusiasm, their business models proved to be uh, ephemeral and they were not able to generate the type of revenues and certainly not profits to sustain those businesses. And they just were big cash consumers. I think we've seen that reckoning happening over the last three quarters in the cannabis sector, where you have had uh, very attractive business models on paper, which were, which were funded uh, initially through private sources and then through a number of the Canadian exchanges. And there was so much investor enthusiasm. It's kind of like how most bubbles are created tremendous amount of enthusiasm, yet very few vehicles in which to deploy capital. And so those few that are existing uh, tend to get uh, overinflated. And, and that really hit its peak probably in the first quarter of 2019 in, in February. And since then, you know, just looking at the publicly held cannabis stocks in, that I have on my screen, you know, on average, they're down 75% in value. And so, as you point out, some of those businesses still have reasonably healthy balance sheets because they did raise uh, equity capital and put it on the balance sheet in cash. Uh, they will be the entities, I think, that will be able to to drive some tough bargains. Um, and And the risk is that owners and, and founders look and say, well, but I was worth X 
Um, and, and that's really not relevant in the kind of cold reality of, of uh, capital markets, right? It's, it's only relevant what you're going to be able to generate going forward in terms of revenue and, and, and earnings, cash and profits that most savvy investors will make going forward, uh, forward-looking valuations today. There is, but, there is, but we also see a bit of one, you know, one other wild card out there, which is there's a, a number of companies that raised capital this time last year and in the early spring, where they raised 20 or 30 million to build up and with the expectation they'd build their first facility and then come back to the market for more capital to build out to scale. And I look at these and a lot of them are like the walking dead today where they did their first stage they still have cash on hand, but they don't have enough cash to actually execute on their model. And they're looking for a path. Have you seen that before? Or is that really a, some, a new phenomenon? No, listen, I, I think that happens, um, that happens often. Uh, I would say the, the reckoning has been quite swift in cannabis, mm -hmm. right? And, and so whereas maybe that happens over two or three years in other industries, it's happened over two or three quarters in 2019 uh, in the cannabis sector, but it, it was because we had such a uh, period of, of tremendous exuberance in these public companies. So there are these kind of half executed business plans, if you will. Um, you know, I, I think the savvy strategic corporate investors, as well as those who still want to play uh, the private capital that still wants to play and has a, takes a long-term view in cannabis, will we'll be able to, you know, kind of pardon the expression, but pick through the rubble and, and find those, those, those half-built businesses that are most attractive and appealing. And then, and then ascribe a more typical uh, valuation to them. Still certainly a growth uh, valuing them as growth companies, valuing them as disruptive businesses, but, um, you know, not 20, 30 times projected revenues. Right. And, you know, that's, that's an adjustment a lot of people have to come to terms with. <clears throat> What's fortunate is everybody in the industry, you know, is still, is still in a space where, as I like to joke, in, when I was in technology, I had to explain to everybody why they wanted my product. In cannabis, I don't have to tell anybody. They tell me. Um, and that changes a lot of the dynamics in terms of the discussion because that proof point doesn't need to be arrived at. But you know, when I was, it was funny in thinking about this call coming up, I was thinking about the last year and we had the, you know, in 2018, we had the big move of constellation into canopy in the, in a heavier way. And that brought forward a lot of market activities. And then in Q3, Q4, there was lots of talk about Coca-Cola getting involved. And then, of course, there was the recognition there just wasn't enough supply for what they wanted to do at the time. And those talks faded off. And how much of the euphoria in the last part of last year really could be attributed to the expectation that the CPG companies were going to be getting in? And then the reality uh, or the recognition that, yes, they'd like to get in, but we're not yet there. We don't have the we're not. We're, we haven't developed this industry enough to support that type of activity. Well, it's, it's an excellent question, Richard. And, and uh, having those large CPG companies have been my clients for 20 years. And so 
have a good sense for the outlook and, and the risk, uh, the willingness to take on risk that many of those corporate managers and certainly the boards of directors have. And, and I think the market uh, got well ahead of reality in terms of the belief that, you know, very large branded food and beverage companies, Nestle, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Kraft Heinz, et cetera, were going to come in guns a blazing and acquire a cannabis supply chain to fulfill, you know, this disruptive uh, movement. I, I think that they, th these large CPG companies absolutely are studying it carefully, uh, this, this sector, but it's going to take a good bit of time and I think more clear view about how the federal government would react before these, you know, multi hundred billion dollar businesses uh, take that risk and before their boards of directors authorize it. Because it's just still out on the risk curve for many of, of those companies. So let's so, come back to that after the break, Brian, and explore that yeah. a bit further. So I'm Richard Duke with the Green Peak and we've got Brian Kalesi from Molas and Company joining us today. Back in a moment. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Let me welcome Nick Hexum from 311. We've never heard things like your music when it first came out. It's like to mix the reggae with the punk and all of that together was just such an unusual sound and, and we loved it. We realized we're not going to copy what's on the radio. At the time, it was all grunge at, that was on the radio. And I said, let's just stick to what we know and wait for a culture to come around to us. Hey, it's Nick Hexum from 311, and you're listening to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina on CannabisRadio.com. Let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Himping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint Business and cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Fetch your earbuds and stay tuned for some pure pet care conversation. Hi, it's Angela Ardolino with It's a Dog's Life, and I have Hernanda Umana joining me. We're just both so fascinated with how much we've learned since we've been in this pet industry and creating an all-natural product. Because it's a dog's life. I am a huge fan of my guest today, Dr. Bob Goldstein. I have, in my experience, not seen many natural substances produce the results that CBD is producing in the animals that we are testing on. It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio. 
climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. All right, I'm Richard Zwicky back uh, with Brian Kalasi on the Green Peak today. And Brian, just before we broke, we were talking about the CPG companies. Um, you know, looking at the space, and one of the things you mentioned was these companies have valuations in the hundreds of billions of dollars. And in the cannabis industry, we talk about the gorillas having, you know, valuations approaching 10 billion. We're still tiny. We're still in our infancy as an industry, but you know, the growth opportunity is massive there. As entrepreneurs are, you know, planning and looking around and trying to develop through the next phase, which is going to be challenging for a lot of them because a lot of business plans need to be properly validated against market realities today. Obviously, part of what people should be looking at is how to build a successful business at any time, not just thinking about it from a public market perspective. But those that are looking to fill the gaps have to have an eye towards what happens when the big CPG companies actually enter the space. And where do you think those CPG companies are going to find the biggest holes that they need to fill right up front? Because they own brands, they own distribution networks, they own so many different pieces. Do they really need to buy a medical cannabis company or cannabis company that has a brand running in one state or do they care? Are they looking for other pieces that are going to matter more to their business? Richard, I, I think that these large CPG businesses, when you think about most of them, they really want to be brand managers and they want to be able to generate premium margins based off selling marketing and, uh, and selling a premium branded product. And they want to make sure that their supply chain is consistent it's safe, it's reliable, and from their own balance sheet perspective, it's, it's more asset light. So we've seen across a wide range of beverages, pro- prepared foods, snacks, etc., the outsourcing of a good bit of the historical supply chain that food and beverage processors had to third parties who can do it more efficiently. And I think they will look for the same thing when they really get into cannabis in a meaningful way. Um, you know, if you look at the large uh, soft drink companies or beverage companies, they're not, uh, they don't own uh, sugar farms and, and so forth, right? They are relying upon their trusted partners to deliver consistent, whether it's the flavoring packets that go in or sugar or high fructose corn syrup. I think they're going to look at cannabis the same way and they'll say, listen, we want to make sure that we have a trusted partner who has a consistent product. Is it, is it naturally derived? Is it synthetically created? I think there'll be room for most everybody. But the question is, do they really feel that they need to own that? Because historically, the CPG companies have been trying to own less of their supply chain, not, not more. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really important part of where the market is going to change dramatically. And you've got issues in certain states where the industry is forced to be completely vertical. And that is not aligned with the rest of the general economy. Do you think that's going to be a big area of a shakeout and change as the uh, market goes forward? Or do you think some of those just get integrated seamlessly into uh, larger entities? No, I, I, do, I do think it's, uh, it's going to be a cause for 
uh, a cause for pause first, and then and then ultimately it's going to have to be more uh, consistent across the 50 United States. Today, if you're in certain markets, as you say, you have to you have to grow it, you have to process it, and you have to sell it, right? And that's there, there's just not many industries uh, that that the large CPG players are in that that's the case. I mean, the most probably the most similar heavily regulated state by state industry is uh, wine and spirits distribution, right? And and there are very specific. Uh, rules to to separate those functions. I, I think in and I don't have a crystal ball as to when this will happen, but when there's progress made at the, at the U.S. federal government level on legalization, hopefully more of the states' own regulations will come into line. But th this is still uh, in in many states, the more conservative uh, states in the union, um, a highly emotional topic: um, cannabis and 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 the regulation of cannabis. It, it is a very emotional topic for people. And, you know, that's been an interesting uh, change for and transformation for people who are entering the market or have been looking at it and overcoming their own doubts and learning about the benefits of medical, um, <clears throat> which is which is stunning for people. But, you know, that that change really is slow is very slow to permeate through the political landscape into Washington in spite of the fact that a majority of Congress people represent districts that have gone to legalized medical at the minimum now we do see things like uh, you know there's an act in front of Congress which reschedules from one to three which I'm wondering if you've heard anything about how the pharmaceuticals industry is looking at that side of the uh, the equation because Rescheduling from one to three would allow for full prescription benefits across the country. And is that enough of a step that the pharmaceuticals and everybody that is on that side of the, uh, the equation would start pushing heavily into it? And would that be viewed as uh, then a competitive advantage or disadvantage for companies in the space? Yeah, I, in in speaking to my partners who really focus on covering the pharmaceutical industry, they say their dialogue with the large pharma uh, folks are just, as of now, they're, they're in study mode and, and really they're at the largest firms, they really believe this cannabis and CBD opportunity is something that's going to be uh, more fully executed against as a consumer health and wellness business and, and, and an OTC business. Um, and, and so as of now, uh, I think they feel they have enough uh, uh, battles to fight against the federal government. And um, uh, so, so they're, they're not necessarily uh, feeling they're going to lean forward um, in cannabis as, as another affront on, on their war. Right. Yeah. So Brian, as a, you know, just, Taking a step back and even a bit broader perspective, you know, Molis is a, a leading global independent um, investment bank, and you know, by that, your firm specializes in helping parties manage through mergers and acquisitions, recapitalization, uh, general financial markets and institution advisory work, capital funds, um, and when and where to raise capital without necessarily being the company that is or the bank that people go to for the capital. 
where are you seeing, because you've got, I think, 900 people in your firm worldwide. <clears throat> where are you seeing the push towards activity heading into 2020, not just in cannabis, but in general? Because obviously market turmoil over the last few months has shifted where the activity is going. Well, we, um, we are a global uh, firm, as, as you mentioned. I think we have operations in, in five continents. And so while we are North American-centric, uh, we we certainly have very big um, presence in in Asia, South America, Europe, uh, the Middle East. We we continue to see the strength of the U.S. economy um, is also driving the most amount of uh, M and A activity. The the slower economy in continental Europe, and the and the uncertainty still with the government and the Brexit. Uh, resolution of Brexit uh, has really dramatically slowed uh, M&A activity in in Europe uh, broadly defined. Uh, we have seen an increased level of uh, transactional volume in the Middle East um, due to uh, you know fundamental transformation of that economy, moving it, trying to diversify it a bit away from a petro. Uh, petrodollar-based economy, and um, we also ha we have also seen some slowdown uh, coming out of our business in in Asia and and particularly uh, in Hong Kong and and serving mainland China. Just as there's been uh, more regulation about the ability for Chinese companies to to send dollars and capital abroad, um, and certainly the unrest in Hong Kong has caused um, more uh, I would say North American and European executives to be cautious, um, at least in, in the very short term, in the very short term. Yeah, no, there's so, yeah, in Hong Kong definitely seems to give everybody a bit of a cold feeling. And, and, and obviously I think, you know, how ultimately that situation is resolved, um, with respect to influence and, and, uh, activity coming out of, um, Beijing r remains to be seen. No, it does. It does. And, you know, in many ways, the, uh, I mean, whatever happens in, you know, we live in Canada and we, we always joke that when the U S sneezes, Canada gets a cold, but, uh, that's true for a lot of the world. And what's nice is the base, the underlying economics in the U S are so strong. It's a good sign for the market going forward as a whole, but you can't have uncertainty worldwide and not, uh, and not have some impact. So we're going to head to break again, and uh, I'm Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak, back with Brian Khaleesi from Molis in just one minute. Thank you. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at s-h-o-o-g-i-e-s dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. 
The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with the Plant Profits. Welcome to another episode of Plant Profits. I am Bert Miller, your host. As you guys know, the purpose of this show is to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. Plant Profits, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. All right, I'm Richard Zwicky, back with The Green Peak, and Brian Kalasi from Mollus is joining us today. Brian, before we broke, we were talking a bit about global uncertainty. And you know, let's reflect that back now to the company in this last segment. And you know, given the dramatic and really traumatic changes to the markets over the last uh, few months in the cannabis space, um, CEOs, need to evolve. Boards need to become not necessarily more activist, but much sharper in terms of maintaining focus on the business fundamentals. But a lot of companies and a lot of people are going through things they haven't uh, had to deal with before. What do you think are the biggest things that CEOs and boards should do to adjust? Yeah, well, given that... um... My, my career has been in, in the advice business. It's uh, in giving advice to owners of businesses and, and, and CEOs of businesses. I think one of the things that, that can serve them very well, especially in turbulent times, is getting a, you know, having a wide enough aperture of perspectives and voices where they're getting information. I think, you know, so many, especially founder led businesses, have been passionately driven on, on, on just continuing to grow their business. And they haven't necessarily had the time or the luxury to, to pick their head up and, and really look around and see all the other forces. And, and I really encourage my clients, you know, make sure you're trying to get a, the perspective of trusted advisors who can bring, whether it's, you know, from an operational perspective, marketing, regulatory, the capital markets, uh, so even if you have, even if it's not a formal board of directors, that you're take, taking good advice and counsel and sifting it all through, uh, and then really applying it to your own business plan. I think another big mistake is to 
say, well, I've got my CFO, uh, they're focused on the finances. I'm just trying to drive the strategy of the business. I, I think as a, a CEO and, and, and a founder owner, one must really also be very cognizant of where are our um, liabilities and risks as it relates to building out our business model. What is the amount of cash that we are really consuming? What is the break at which we can start generating cash from introductions of our products? What are you know the ways that we can think ahead to save uh, for unintended uh, regulatory changes or, or bumps in the night that, that invariably happen, especially in uh, cannabis, which is such a rapidly moving sector? Yeah, no, it's... Uh... It's, it's very, very uh, pertinent because one thing you mentioned is something I've witnessed over many years is uh, founderitis as an issue. And I think we're gonna, we see a lot of that where we have uh, industry specialists building, building companies that they're passionate about, they love, they look at as their own baby, but they can't step back and have the perspective of you know, I, I, or I've heard it referred to as like the Louis XIV syndrome out of uh, France. I am the state and the state is me. And people think of the company as a reflection of them as opposed to, uh, and that they're the best ones to do everything. And that's a, that they are irreplaceable. And that's part of the big, that's a big part of people's problems as they're moving forward and not getting all the advice they need. And some think dissension is a bad thing. Whereas in many ways, dissension is really a means by which your people are saying, hey, I don't understand this, or I think we should look at this differently. And it's a challenge of how the business can grow. And so a lot of that's healthy, but gets pushed back. And that's something people struggle with. Is it something you see coming through the door still that people, you know, as part of the activity, the dissension that there's positive and negative dissension, how it cripples or can help companies succeed. Yeah, it's, it's a great point, Richard. Um, obviously, I think most people would, would reflect on Abraham Lincoln as one of the greatest executives in, in the history of the United States. And, and his cabinet was very purposely created to have, uh, you know, kind of political rivals and, and folks who brought a different point of view. And, and you know, there's a recent uh, wonderful book called Team of Rivals, which talks about how Lincoln really benefited from these different challenging. And, and you can go back to the Kennedy administration, the Reagan administration, um, that really used that, that level of advice and taking different points of view and topics. We, I see it in, in young businesses. I, I see it in established businesses as well where there is a culture that is, uh, that, is, that is incubated sometimes by a very large egoed CEO. And, and then that causes other super talented executives to depart or to really not share openly what they see are the risks and opportunities at, at the risk of being uh, politically unpopular um, and, and, and losing out in their own uh, career aspirations. So, Again, one of the things that we at, at MOLUS as an independent investment bank, we tried to be really steely-eyed and objective, uh, non-emotional, and really, uh, you know, strategic, giving strategic financial advice to our clients to say, hey, this is the new reality. In the cannabis sector, we look and, and we see, you know, m multiple companies who, in a race to get 
uh, you know, to, to grow a product took uh, advantage of available uh, land or greenhouses that was very bad. And now those, those quick decisions are coming home to roost because they have tainted products in, in, yep. in, in the amounts of tens of millions of dollars. Uh, and that is that that may be a irrecoverable uh, error from which uh, uh, that they made. So, again, I, I just think that weighing kind of cautiously, objectively weighing the risks and opportunities of a business model, you certainly have to remain optimistic um, for success uh, as an entrepreneur. And I understand that. But but you have to be cognizant of, of, of all the puts and calls that can come upon you. Yes, it's a minefield of unexpected uh, decisions. And if you talk in a vacuum, you're going to have only your own voice to hear. And that's not really uh, going to reflect reality very well. So we're at the end of our time for today, uh, um, Brian. But, you know, I know this conversation has been excellent. And I've benefited from uh, tremendous feedback and advice from yourself and from Olus uh, in, in developing Plana. Um, Listeners who want to learn more about Molus, where should what you want to give us the uh, URL so they can learn more and understand more about how Molus operates, but also learn about this area of the uh, where the industry is going because this type of advice is invaluable to any business go as it's developing. Well, thanks, Richard. It's, it's been my pleasure. I enjoyed our conversation, and um, I you we have a uh, our corporate website is www.molus that's M-O-E-L-I-S. And I am based in Los Angeles. You can find all my contact information on the website as well as all of uh, my other 129 other partners uh, who are giving advice to corporations and families and uh, private equity businesses around the world. Thanks for the time. Thank you very much, Brian, for joining us here today on The Green Peak. I'm Richard Zwicky with Planet Global, and I look forward to talking to everybody again next week. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now enjoy a large iced coffee for just 2 bucks and a breakfast sandwich to make a meal. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty? sizzling to perfection. It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now enjoy a large iced coffee for just two bucks and a breakfast sandwich to make a meal. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.